We have the call to worship, where God calls us in the entirety of the world to worship him. Behold, bless you the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. As we gather this evening, God, as we come by the grace and your mercy, Lord, as we come with desire to worship your name, to sing praises before you, Lord God, to bring our prayers and our concerns before you, Lord, and to hear your word, to grow through the means of grace that you've given us, God, to be more obedient, to be more loving uh, towards one another, God. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would be with our churches to protect them economically and politically, that we would retain and uh, gain back our Freedoms, Lord, that have been curtailed for these many months and over a year. Indeed, God, may return quickly. Help us to that extent, Lord, we pray, uh, to have wisdom, to know who to support. Lord, uh, may we have uh, men, leaders, Lord, to stand up and to maintain these freedoms. We pray in particular, God, for just laws, for righteous laws in accordance to your, your word and to your law, Lord, that they would preserve life and protect God, the innocent. We ask God for removal and the undermining of all unjust laws across this nation, Lord, here in Colorado, in our counties and our cities, Lord. Laws here and there, God, that perhaps some of them we don't think about. We know some of the more obvious ones, Lord, such as the supposed right to murder one's child. So, God, we we pray for our country because we love our country. We love our neighbors, God. And we pray, Lord, that they would have the right law and the right understanding. But more importantly, Lord, that they would have a heart of repentance, a heart that turns to flesh, prophesied in the Old Testament we heard about this morning, God, and that they would be born again. May they have access to the Word of God. Lord, we pray for our families as well. We would continue to love one another and to support, Lord, one another, that the children would love and obey their parents, that the wives would love and obey their husbands. The husbands would lead their families and love them as well, Lord, and be considerate of who they are and his care for them. Lord, and how the family helps one another in their respective duties and responsibilities, Lord. And how important that is and how beautiful the harmony is. We pray for such, Lord, in the day and age in which more and more children are born out of wedlock, more and more families are broken up through divorces and the like, God, the damage and harm that brings upon them. There's very little, it seems, they can do. We're thankful, Lord, for churches that have love and compassion for those who go through such difficulties in their lives, Lord, and they are the cause of it and are repentant, and we support them and we help them more. We pray for their protection. We pray for all our families. We pray for the singles as well, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would help them find a godly spouse, that you would help them persevere against a society that doesn't care about marriage and doesn't care about finding a godly spouse at all. And so, God, we ask for the protection of the family, of the children, and of those who could be married, that we would uh, be aware that we are examples to one another and that we ought to encourage and help one another as families and as individuals and as couples, Lord whether we have children or the children have grown up and left the house, Lord, that we know that we are the family of God, that we are here to help and support one another. Gracious God and Father, we pray for our callings and vocations in life, and part of that may be a father, mother, a child, but also a student, Lord, a member of society, a businessman, a worker, Lord, an engineer, a mechanic, citizen of where we are in this world, and also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. We ask God that we would take our responsibilities seriously to, again, remember that we are examples to one another and that we can help and encourage one another and exhort one another and even admonish one another, God. May we do thus with love and compassion, with understanding, with and with proper moderation, we pray. Help us, Lord, to understand the times and seasons which we find ourselves in. 
and work doubly hard at our calling and vocation to be satisfied with the gifts you've given us, Lord, and our limitations in life, contrary to the American ethos, which teaches us to never be satisfied with limitations, but the sky is the limit, we say. And they just fool themselves, Lord, for there are limits, Lord. There's limits of intelligence, there's limits of ability and understanding. Uh, there's physical limits, Lord. There's emotional limits. And so, God, I mean, we know what they are. We know our strengths, Lord, and use them, that is, for our callings and vocations in life, to the best for your glory, Lord, and for the love of one another. We pray these things. Amen. We have the sermon text in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11. It's interesting to go through the minor prophets. I've you know, heard a lot about the major ones, especially as a dispensationalist, Ezekiel and Isaiah, and supposed prophecies of the end time. I don't remember a lot of the minor prophets, but I'm, I see a lot of social issues, not just worship matters, but social issues. We're going to see some of that this evening. Uh, through the Minor Prophets, and I hope that's been edifying for you, because I find it very relevant for where we are today. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God, Zechariah chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Open your doors, O Lebanon, and the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is a sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of Jordan is in ruins. Thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and the shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand, into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. Let us pray. With these words of judgment, God, we see how serious you are about those who devour the flock of Jesus Christ. You judge them, Lord. You protect your sheep. Even as you call them, Lord, to feed your sheep, you know that they are not listening, so you will judge them, and you will bring about a widespread social judgment, as we see here, where every man turns against his neighbor, and even the king turns against his own people. So we see, God, that sin, the sin of devouring one another, for quick gain and rich, be rich, becomes its own judgment. Pray we pray, God, as we see our society falling into a similar such judgment, God, that we would be protected as a church, and that we would see and understand, Lord, and thank you for your protection of your church. In your name alone we pray. Amen. If you remember Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8, we read about the widespread hatred of the Old Testament church. In Zechariah 7, 9, we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Why is he saying that? Because apparently it's not happening. <laughs> Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of your plan evil. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. They had a problem. They hated their own people. They hated the church of God. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, or stopped their ears, so that they could not hear. Not listening, not listening, remember that? Well, we're coming back full circle to that now, with full judgment. There he warns them, and now the judgment is coming. Chapter 8, verse 17, we read, Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Right? Saying the same thing again. That's chapter 7. And do not love a false oath, for all, those, all these things I hate, says the Lord, where they were using the courts and lies to again undermine and show hatred towards their own fellow Israelites. This is the hatred of the members of the Old Testament church and society, reminding you again that the two overlapped. And so when you see a sin against the church, you also see a sin against the social members of Israel. Same thing. 
It's a picture of a people devouring themselves like cannibals, which is exactly how Micah described it, as you recall when I preached this. Took their bones and threw them in a pot, he describes. It's horrific. He's talking, as we know, about economical and social advantage and manipulation and cannibalism of their own people. God will judge them. Judge them in Micah, and so we see it here in Zechariah. Judgment on prosperity, the first point, verses 1 through 3. We have, you probably have like mine, it's set off as its own little section there, verses 1 through 3. It's poetic in its form, in its uh, presentation here, like he's declaring a poem of judgment. The cedars of Cyprus and Bashan, <coughs> cities uh, known for beautiful forests. And it's a poem destruction from moving from the north to the south to Israel. From the natural beauty of the trees, of the oaks, right? From the cedar trees that are being devoured by fire. To the moral ugliness of the false teachers who are growing rich off the poverty of their own people. And riches, of course, is expressed in the material you buy. I hear wood's expensive these days. <laughs> and this stuff would be expensive up here. The rich people would have access to these forests to make their beautiful houses and beautiful buildings and beautiful fortresses and whatnot. And so God says, I will bring judgment. A fire will devour. Open your doors, O Lebanon, and you can flee all you want. But the fire is coming through. And you can wail all you want, but the cedar has fallen, the oaks are being destroyed, the thick forest is coming down, and the sound of the wailing shepherds, of the leaders of society, crying out, we've lost our wealth, where's our prosperity? God is bringing judgment upon them. The source of choice wood for rich people gone up in smoke. Judgment upon ill-gotten prosperity. It's not prosperity as such, Abraham was prosperous, but it's ill-gotten prosperity. God is not pleased. God is angry with them. And so we have the wailing shepherds, verse 3, with the recognize the fire, that is the metaphorical fire, either of war or other types of destruction, economic destruction, political destruction, upon the shepherds of Israel, because the source of their beautiful life, their comfortable life, is up in smokes. The source of the material beauty, like, I don't know, Cherry Creek losing Saks Fifth Avenue or something. That's the source. This is the source of all the comfortable things, the rich things, and the prosperous items they have access to, especially the wood there, of course, and other things. A picture of losing their wealth. And so they're wailing. Woe is me, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. Woe is me. (laughs) The shepherds are in shock. No, they should be embarrassed. They should be humbled. They should be repentant, as we see, of course. And he describes their glory and ruins, as we see there. Uh, again, with the source of much of what is visibly beautiful, the trees there that would cut down for their own buildings and their chairs and whatnot. And he continues on at the end of verse 3. There is the sound of roaring lions. The pride of Judah, uh, Jordan, is in ruins. Uh, the sound of wailing of shepherds and the sound of roaring lions, they're parallel. You see, you have two things, roaring or wailing, and then the glory is in ruins. And then the pride of Judah is in ruins. Those are obviously parallel. Glory and pride go together. And the sound of a roaring lion. So the sound of a roaring lion, in other words, is a lion that's angry and upset that its beauty and its prosperity is being devoured and destroyed. Not a lion ready to pounce and destroy you. It's an angry lion, angry at what it's losing, not what it's gaining. Lost its pride. Lost its prosperity. It's lost its wealth. That is 
False shepherds are described as lions, by implication devouring their own people, but now they're wailing in anger because they're losing all they thought they deserved. Who are these shepherds? I wrestled with this for a little bit. You might think it's obvious. It's not as obvious. I hope you'll see as I go through this. Who are the shepherds? Well, we see in 2 Samuel 5, 2, where the people tell David they are to be shepherded by him as the Lord had promised them. You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So come rule us. Kings were called shepherds. See, we're used to, in the New Testament era, to think of shepherds as only pastors or somebody who feeds you spiritually. That is not the way it's used in the ancient Near East. It's used that way, to be sure, but not exclusively. That also refers to kings and social leaders, people with influence and power, who are supposed to be what? Fathers over the people, the people they influence. That's the fifth commandment, isn't it? The fifth commandment applied to society, not just individuals and families. And so it's a common description. The word uh, and the verb there, shepherding, is to tend or take care of. Function of the king is to tend and take care of his people. Make sure they're not invaded, for example. Kind of important. Make sure that things are not so bad that the whole world, their whole economy is falling apart. He can try to do something. Who knows what king would do back then? He has he has all the combined power of a judge and a legislative branch, essentially. And good kings were prosperous kings. Often they were wise kings. We see David was like that, and Solomon. They did good things to help their people prosper. They were shepherding in that way. So it's economic. It's economic. Look at the source which God is attacking. But the trees up north, a picture of economic beauty, the source of economic beauty, right? And the beautiful houses, the tapestries or whatever else comes from the trees and the chairs being devoured and consumed by fire or destruction and war. And so the idea of shepherds, and I'll unpack that a little later, is not just pastors and prophets but also priests, they're supposed to teach as well, and kings, and social leaders, big businessmen who have lots of power and influence, for example. Kings, of course, were the most influential social leader. They weren't just political, they were social leaders. People looked up to them. God said, make sure you have one of your own be a king, and he has to be an upright king. Why? Because he's an example. We saw in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, at the end there, where they are urged to imitate, and the word there is mimic. You can see it in the Greek, almost in the English too, mimic them. It's human nature to follow. That's not wrong to be a follower. I don't care what the American culture tells us. You're supposed to lead. It's just a lie. You're really following often. Following the fads, as you know, and Nike and all that. That's fine to some extent, as long as it's not sin. You should mimic and copy and follow good leaders and good kings. So kings had that kind of social influence and power. It was one of the big Problems we had in 2016. What kind of you know, leader are we going to have in America? Isn't he a bad influence? Is he a good influence? Do we take it seriously or not? What does that mean? And all the issues that come into that. And so in the best of societies, of course, in the best of times, we would have access to good leaders who understand. It's not just pastors who have to be good examples, but social leaders as well. Rich merchants, as I said, as well, will fall, fall under this. With respect to the fifth commandment, because the fifth commandment is not just the biological family, but all social relations of of superiors to inferiors and equals to equals as well. So given the emphasis on wealth and the money and the source of money, right? Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. 
And the punishment being the entirety of society, not just the priests and the prophets, but the entirety of society attacking each other. Verse 6, I'll no longer pity the inhabitants, but indeed every, will give everyone into his neighbor's hand. Tells me the idea of shepherd here is not just narrowly the prophet or the priest, but anyone who's a father in Israel like the king. He says the king will uh, attack the land. And merchants and people with power and influence. That's what he's talking about. Micah, uh, excuse me, Jer- um, Zechariah. I don't know why I have Micah here. I mentioned Micah later. In Zechariah 7, I already read that. Uh, that they may uh, do evil with both hands and earnestly, excuse me, let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath. And then uh, we had read earlier, that's why I read at the beginning of chapter 7, Verse 9, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. It was a common problem in Zechariah's day. There in the prior chapter. And here we have it unfolded with respect to the actual judgment that God brings upon them. A judgment similar to Micah. That's why I keep having Micah in my head, because Micah had a similar thing. He said, every man turns against his neighbor. Uh, the, the father and the husband and the wife, they don't trust each other. The children don't trust their parents. But it says, Micah, because every man is against himself and against his neighbor. It's a terrible place to be in, a terrible society, and a terrible judgment upon people. It's economic and social oppression he's talking about. Now, I know those terms are just <laughs> laden with so much politics today, but I think you know what I mean. I preach through Micah on these things, and I'm carrying it on again because he's mentioning it here again. And other commentators have agreed with me, so I'm not just off, off, out on a limb. Second point, verse 4, feeding the flock of the slaughter. <laughs> You know, in the English, it's kind of interesting here. Thus says the Lord God, the Lord my God, right? The covenant-keeping God, speaking to Zechariah, says, feed the flock for slaughter. You can read that as in feed the flock that you're going to slaughter. Give, give them some food before you chew them up and spit them out. No, he's, he's saying feed the, the flock that is being set up to being slaughtered. Feed my poor sheep who are being slaughtered. Think of it as hyphenated words. Description of who they are. Sheep to the slaughter. Hence the title of the sermon. Feed them. You should feed them and not bring them to the slaughter. Feed those who are my flock, but my flock who are being designated for slaughter when they should not be. Feeding, of course, as sustenance, giving them what they need. For pastors, of course, to offer the sustenance of the word of God, the gospel especially, the good news. The prophets should bring the good news. The prophets should tell them they're doing the right thing and rebuilding the temple and God is with them in the land and God has been merciful to them after the 70 years of Babylon. But instead, they have lied and they have fed upon them economically and gotten rich off the poor people there. And of course, they should warn them. Warning is also a part of feeding. Tell them to do the right thing. Warn them from doing the wrong thing, that God the Father will judge his people. They shouldn't think they're so special that God's not going to judge them, like you're the spoiled child in the family, the rich spoiled child that we have in America at times. I can get away with anything, right? Because I'm, I'm the son of the judge. I'm the son of the politician. A lot of the Jews were thinking that way. And so God, through Zechariah, is warning these men and women and whoever else is involved in these, this economic oppression and hatred of their own people, warning them. That's there's a way a warning in the word of God can be taken. Depends on who's receiving the warning, right? If you're reprobate, the warning is given to you to increase your moral culpability. You have no excuse. You have been told. For the lazy Christian, of course, it's to wake them up that their father is not pleased and you're being morally lazy. Repent. God will discipline. Don't confuse the language and the action 
with assuming that everyone, therefore, is reprobate, for example. I used to think that all the Jews, like 99.9% of the Jews are reprobate. What's their problem? Not necessarily. God speaks strong because he hates the sin, but he loves his people, and many of them were saved. How many? I don't know. So the same language and the same effect. Right? People could be punished by God. doesn't mean they're reprobate. It just, it just doesn't. So let's not read into that. Warnings are still real. They're still there to wake you up. It's a tool, right? It's a sharp stick. You know what that's called in the Bible? A goad, right? Goading you, poking you. Boom, boom, boom. Wake up, wake up. What's your problem? In the old Puritan days in New England, they had the deacons in the back with the children. They had a long stick, yeah. Boom, wake up. We should do that again. No. <laughs> yeah, Bill, you'd be good at it. So feeding for sustenance, right, what they need to grow, and feeding for protection as well, and the like, what they need. And the feeding there, of course, is not just spiritual but material, because if the shepherds are those who are over them materially, not just spiritually, because they're growing rich off of them. Priests aren't going to readily get rich off of the people. They just get the food of the sacrifices sometimes. They have their own land, right? They grow things on it. That's about it. It's all the merchants. Or the judges. We read in Micah, the judges were taking bribes, right? They're getting rich off the people of God. So it's material feeding as well. When he says, feed my people, I know the first thing we think of is give them the word of God, and that is true, amen and amen. But we're not so holy, we're not so heavenly minded to think that we have no earthly good. Does not the church have deacons for the body? Do we not take care of one another who are materially poor? Of course we do, and our church has done it for many, many years. We are blessed that way to have that ability, and many churches do that often, in fact. And so material feeding is also part of this. The king, the merchants, what are you doing? Are you starving the people economically because you're so greedy? We read in the shorter, uh, excuse me, the larger catechism question 129. Larger catechism question 129. What is required of superiors towards their inferiors? You know what I mean by that? I think we're all adults here when I say inferior and superior. We're not dealing with politics where you have a lot of children who would pounce on you and counsel you and cancel you and cast you out and throw you in jail or something because you use the word inferior. <gasps> Shameful. Dude. You know, I'm inferior to a lot of you on a lot, a lot of topics, a lot of training, a lot of experience. Karen is a nurse. I'm an idiot when it comes to nursing. I'm inferior to her when it comes to nursing. I have no pride in that matter. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Americans are full of pride, unfortunately. So I think it's helpful to have the language and keep the language that we have in the OPC of our tradition, which is inferiors and superiors. What is required of superiors towards their inferiors? It is required of superiors, according to the power that they receive from God, protect, provide for them all things necessary for the soul and body, given what they can do, is the implication there. The king who shepherds his people is fulfilling this commandment by protecting them and providing for them the things necessary for the soul. In that case, of course, the king would protect the church so the people can have the food for their soul. And we have that in the American Confession insofar as we have reference to Isaiah where it says the kings are the nursing fathers, the male version of a nurse, of a nurse, a female nurse, nursing mother, nursing fathers to God's church. 
that is, is there to make sure they're not harassed and worship and uh, preaching of the Word of God, you're not harassed. It's there in the American Confession that they can freely preach the gospel and not get harassed. We're not getting that because our leaders don't believe that anymore. Of course, it's stronger in the, Amer- in the original Scottish um, Confession. And so, in other words, the fifth commandment, the duties of superiors towards inferiors, is related to the idea of shepherding, attending and protecting and feeding and taking care of people under your sphere of influence. The king has the greatest sphere of influence, of course, and the pastors have the greatest of spiritual influence. And they should work and coordinate together insofar as not um, stopping one another to help the body of the nation and the church in particular. Not just kings, as I said, but social leaders like Job, who is rich, and a judge, it turns out. Uh, we read here, when I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper, I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the, uh, the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked, and I plucked the victims out of his teeth. It was Job. We know he's a rich man, and often the judges... Uh, those uh, ruling elders, we would call them today in the ancient Near East there, had a lot of wealth, and that would make sense because it takes time to judge. It literally takes time to sit down and listen to cases. And they were, they were well-to-do, and of course the wise ones and the godly ones did what Job did, which was deliver and to tend and to shepherd over people of the nation, which in this case happened to be all, all the same members of the church. So again, I know the difference in America, it's, it's separated often. Uh, but the overlap is still there, and the uh, application is, I think, still very clear. And it's not just, of course, as I said, spiritual feeding and spiritual teaching and the like, but material help and material feeding, giving them the things they need. Um, there's a reason why, for example, and they're all Puritan laws, by the way. We have gouging laws, price gouging laws. There is such a thing as godless communism. We, we used to, I grew up at, right? Watch out for godless communism. Well, there's also such a thing as Christless capitalism where they are gouging, and they're like, well, because the market says I can do it, like, I don't know, during the L.A. riots. Remember that was like five bucks a gallon for ten bucks a gallon of water or something? People were dying for water? That's, that's obscene. Well, the market bears it. Well, sure, it bears it because it's called sin. It's really twisted and out of, there's something wrong here. So whatever you want to do with those laws, maybe there's a better way to write the laws, that's the spirit in which it was designed. I've read the original uh, Puritan laws, a lot of those from the 1700s, New England. I say Puritans, New England Puritans. <clears throat> so, instead of, for example, business leaders is what we have in mind today when we talk about social leaders, although there are other types of social leaders as well. Hollywood has those. They make lots of money and they have lots of influence. They ought to use that influence for good instead of wickedness. Uh, I think of business, of course, should make an effort to give their workers a living wage. It should, it should, it should be a goal of theirs. Whether they can accomplish it or not, sure. But it should be a goal of theirs. Instead of squeezing more and more hours out of workers without proper compensation. In America, productivity has risen dramatically, for example, but pay has lagged in a way it has not lagged before. I've seen the charts. It just goes like this. So about the late 70s, they were about going like this, and then it went like that, across the board. Sure, some jobs are not the same. You don't, you don't, it's kind of hard. You run a whole nation like this. You can't go job by job. You generally go with large-scale decisions and patterns, and that's one of them. It's just a known fact. Housing prices go up and medical bills go up. Medical prices go up. You heard my prayer this morning. I verified that best I can. I'm not the econo- econ- economist. It takes about 52 weeks to do what my parents did at 33 or 32 weeks in the 80s to pay that kind of same bills. 
something's wrong there. Something's skewed there, don't you think? We can debate what it is, but something's going on there where people in America, that is, whoever they are, are devouring their own people, and it happens to affect the church. It doesn't happen. It hurts the church. It hurts poor Christians. Uh, we had a member of our church who was treated like dirt by a big mega corporation. Remember that? And uh, the paperwork was all wrong, and the boss was not covering for him, and eventually he just lost his job, and now he works at a coffee shop. They didn't care. Small thing, but you add all those little small things up, and God gets angry about it. That's injustice. That's the kind of economic oppression he's talking about. <clears throat> and so the judgment God has upon uh, these people, self-afflicted judgment on, on the flock of God, verses 4 through 6. Uh, feed the flock for the slaughter, that is the flock being prepared for slaughter. Feed them, don't slaughter them. Whose owners slaughter them, they feel no guilt. They sell them, right? So it's economic. Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, they say. And the shepherds do not pity them. And I will no longer pity them, said the Lord. Indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand. Given over to their own sins and lusts. A country without a natural affections toward each other is its own curse. A country without a natural affections toward each other is its own curse. We used to call it patriotism. We loved one another. We loved your country. And now that's a dirty word. Indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand. Into the hands of his king. You think he's just talking about, well, they're going to play patty cake? What's he saying here? You want to devour? Now you're all going to devour each other. It's going to turn to chaos, economic chaos and destruction, ultimately. It happened, of course, in their society slash church. It happens in societies as we see today, and it affects the church still, even if the membership isn't the same anymore. If you recall Romans one thirty one, we read those three words, without natural affection. You remember that probably because we have one simple Greek word for it, where it took three words in English, a storge. See here is a storge, being without natural affection. <laughs> Would you sell your family to make a dime, a quick buck? That's what they're doing. You would say, that's hateful. What's your problem? Where's your natural affection? You're born this way. Children love their parents. Unbelieving children, I've made this plea before, you've seen it. They love their parents. They hug them. They want to follow. They're scared when they run away and their parents are gone. That's how God created them. Yes, they're fallen. It doesn't change the fact that love is still there. Even though that love isn't for God, it's still for their family. It's built into creation, brothers and sisters. And to fight against it like these people are, the Jews of old, and unfortunately I fear what I see in our nation today, where they don't care about their own citizens, their own neighbors, their own family. I mean, abortion is clearly a case of without natural affection. There ever was a case. If you think about it, murder is a subset of a broader problem, isn't it? A storge. You might even argue a storge is the sin of the age. It just pours over and affects everything economically and politically and everything else. <clears throat> it's not just the lack of affection or love for those close to you like your family or kin, but also members of a broader society. The word is used, for example, in the... Uh, there's a fifth book of Maccabees, I didn't write it down here, between a king and his closest servant long-standing servant that he cares for as a family member. The word storge is used in that case. If the fifth commandment is the basis of society, and it is, the family, because that's the fifth commandment talks about, the biological family, then it makes sense when talking about natural affections that the duties here are important and that this hatred of their own people to sell them, to make fast buck off their misery. However that looked, we don't know. I gave you some examples today what that would look like. 
God says, I'm not pleased. I'm angry with it. You want your money? I'll give you money. You guys are going to devour each other. Every man to the hand, that is, into the power of and the influence, obviously the economic influence. Often the judgment of God fits the crime that way. That is, there's a poetic justice this way. Duties, I mentioned before in the example of the king, the duties they have to protect, to provide for the soul and the body, depending on your responsibilities, your respective responsibilities of those underneath you. And the sins, of course, are in this text, who, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them and say, whose owners slaughter them. So that is, owners slaughter what? Owners of the sheep, what owners? Who are the owners? Well, the king would be an owner, is what he's saying. Uh, the priests, of course, and the prophets, and those with economical power, big merchants. Those who will say to them, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, after I sold the sheep. And their shepherds do not pity them. Those are the sins in this text. They slaughter them and feel no guilt. I would argue it's economic and social slaughtering. And they say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. They lie about ill-gotten gain, and then their shepherds do not pity them. More sin. They don't care about them. They're just numbers. They're just there to be used and to squeeze like an orange. Get all that money and juice out of them. Today, of course, economic hatred. hatred. You don't pity somebody when they need to have pity. right? The implication, of course, is they need to have pity on them. You don't pity them. It's a form of hatred, isn't it? Economic hatred is disguised in America, of course, as what? Efficiency in the bottom line, I would argue. That's the American way. Sometimes you don't need to be efficient all the time. Okay to have, I don't know, Sunday off. You make more money. Sure you can. And you can go to hell with it, too. <laughs> not all about the money. But Americans are all about the money. When they say it, it's not all about the money. Picture, if you recall, let me skip here. I finish up. Recall Micah 7. It really is Micah 7, not Zechariah 7. It's just providential. They're both the same chapter 7. Micah 7. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. And in that context, as you recall, in Micah, it was not war. It wasn't the rising up and getting a sword. It was economic exploitation and greed. Right? That's what was going on there. They were stealing houses. They were stealing land. They were stealing the beautiful garments off their back. Remember that? Selling their family for a fast buck is what we would say today. That's what's going on. That's a storge in action. And it's pitiful to see it in the church, the Jewish church of the Old Testament. It's pitiful to see it in the society, which I see today in America. As I said before, it's not just the prophets and the like, but it's anyone with influence in society, a father of society whatever that looks like. And so God judges them because he cares for the flock. He has pity. He will not sell them. In fact, his son died for them. And although Christianity does not guarantee economic prosperity, hard to believe that, I suppose, in the the American West because we have so much of a Christian basis. But brothers and sisters, we have the church in Africa, we have the church in South America, we have the church in China. They're poor. In the Middle East, they're destroyed. But their souls are saved. The gospel brings. And that's the problem with the old mainline liberals of 100 years ago, which now have morphed into progressivism, in which they say the gospel is the good news of economic health and equality. There are no more inferiors and superiors. No. Good news is that although God judges his enemies and those who devour the church of God, both economically and spiritually. 
especially spiritually, bringing lies, devour their souls. He has saved them. He has pity upon them, brothers. And the anger God has expressed here in the judgment is a reminder of the love he has for you. Let us pray. God and Savior, we see here how you judge this, the sins of greed and avarice with its own judgments of more greed and avarice upon them. And you do that because you love us. Help us, God, we pray, to understand that the dangers of having no natural affection and how it affects and spreads through a society and how dangerous that is and how it even affects the church, Lord. And may we have the proper natural affection, and not only a natural affection for family members and those close to us and our neighbors as patriots, but also that brotherly natural affection we read of in Romans towards one another as the household of faith. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.